Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Judy Sedgman, and I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we're in the midst of winter, but somehow we had a balmy day today, and it was 60 degrees, and everybody was sweating in their parkas. <laughs> so people didn't check the temperature before they left the house. And I am delighted to be here with my beautiful and wonderful and brilliant therapist and lovely, kind, compassionate person, Christine. <laughs> I should be so lucky that I can think of that many positive things to say about me. <laughs> well, that's why I have to say them because you don't yeah. you don't see it. <laughs> well, I feel the same way about about you, Judy, and I am Christine Heath, and I am a marriage and family therapist, and I reside in warm and beautiful Hawaii. So, welcome everyone to Psychology Has It Backwards. Yeah, today uh, we're going to talk to you, we're going to ask the question, does your body have a mind of its own? You know, people always talk about the mind-body connection, and it actually is, uh, you know, it's a wonderful field of study, and there's a, a lot of very fascinating research being done in that field. But there are also a lot of people in the world who actually believe that the body is, you know, kind of like separate from our thinking, and it comes up with stuff, you know, like my body is trying to tell me something. And, um, and I, I remember getting very confused about that years ago when I was younger, because I had a lot of friends who really believed, you know, that, that like, you know, if you, if you had a um, breakup with somebody and then you had a stomach ache, that it was your stomach was, you know, experiencing the pain and, and letting you know that you made a mistake, you know, that kind of thing. Like, oh, I shouldn't have broken up with him. I've got a stomach ache. My stomach is telling me that he was a good boy and I should have stayed with him. And um, I, I, I remember thinking, like, how would your stomach know that? I mean, you know, where would that come from? And the one thing that I realized when we got, uh, you know, when we, we all got deeper into the principles is that, Life is, life is energy. I mean, the principles describe the energy of creation, the universal energy behind all of creation, or that is all of creation. And we are that same energy. And it, it takes form as it passes through the universe. And so we're, our, our bodies are formed like our thinking is, our thoughts are formed from that energy, and it's all one. But the the engine, the engine that creates everything for us, all of our experiences and all of our feelings, is not the body. It's the thoughts that we create that inform the body, and then the the, the world we see the world and the body responds in different ways in different bodies to the thinking that we're doing. It's like, you know, they've discovered, for example, an obvious one is cortisol. 
is generated by stress. You get excess cortisol and you can, you can test your saliva and see it happen. Uh, you get excess cortisol when, cortisol when you get stressed because your stressful thinking has informed your senses, oh, you better make more cortisol because that's going to help them with their stress. And, and so we say, oh, well, you have too much cortisol. That's why you're stressed. No, that's not why you're stressed. It's telling, it's telling you that you're stressed. And I, and I honestly think that it's much simpler than we make it. We, we get all kind of locked up in thinking our, you know, our body's trying to talk to us. And really, our thinking is creating every experience that we have. And our body is responding to the sensory details that our thoughts are providing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, it's kind of interesting. I have to do this um, training uh, for my marriage and family therapy license. And um, I was listening to a, a, a continuing education training on um, dance movement therapy and, um, and culture and how people um, are uh, react differently to things based on their culture, based on what's kind of happened within their culture and, it's it's like oh I thought oh this would be cool to listen to, to to hear this and it was like really funny because it would come all the way back to thought and then not take that next step to thought you know oh, they would God. talk about the experience of that the person was having and and almost like the body had a mind of its own so you know she would she was talking about how when people are traumatized that the body then reacts to life. It's kind of like the body has eyes or it has a sense in some way that you're in a situation that's similar to the trauma that you went through. And then it, it reacts to protect you because I guess the body sees that there's something like something bad could happen to you again. And so it responds in the way that you were originally responding to whatever event happened to you. And, you know, the the truth is, is that when people do have physical or mental traumas and things trigger them, a trigger isn't the outside. It's the thought that gets triggered, right? It's not so triggers aren't like, things the outside world does to you, but it's memories that come up that you don't even maybe sometimes even remember that you have. And suddenly consciousness makes them real and your body responds in the way that it was originally, you know, programmed into memory. So you get a repeat of that. Like I was telling you this story, Judy, about my brother, my brother, um, when he was, young he's my brother is nine years older than me so he got a bow and arrow for christmas one year and he was maybe a teenager probably 13 14 years old and um he wasn't supposed to use it in the house so i was with them and we went to my brother's bedroom my sister and his twin sister and he and i and he was playing with his bow and arrow and he shot it and the bow hit the arrow hit the bed and then it bounced up and hit me between the eyes and, um, of course, I screamed bloody murder. I don't really remember. I've been 
the story has been told me so many times, I feel like I remember it, but I, I evidently, you know, was screaming and they were trying to cover my mouth so that my mother wouldn't hear and they'd get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of, it was a lot of drama going on. And um, anyway, long story short, um, fast forward to when I'm in my 20s and they started doing um, glaucoma tests. And in those days, they would touch your eyeball with this machine and would measure the pressure in your eyeball. And so I went in for my first glaucoma test and the doctor gets near my eyes and my, my eyes just clamp shut. And I cannot, and I'm like, okay, relax, Chris, it's okay. Nothing's happening. It's okay. And I, I couldn't like keep my eyes open because it was just this automatic clamping of my eyeballs. Now that wasn't my body thinking, that was my memory getting jogged and uh, consciousness made it real. Now, people don't realize that thought is the most fast thing in the world. Like, to me, thought is what processes life. So it has to be faster than that. So, you know, it's like you're thinking and you don't know it and you're having this physical reaction. So it seems like, oh, my body's reacting to this. My body, but your body just doesn't have a way of doing anything. That's why when you're unconscious, your body doesn't do anything. Hello? Like there's, <laughs> it doesn't matter who's in the room. When you're unconscious, you're not going to have a reaction to it. So that's kind of the thing you got to remember is that it's all memory. And memory is just thought that comes to life mm-hmm. in the moment and then terrifies you because it looks like it's real again and it's happening now. So and I like your story because you're too young to remember it, but it's still up there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, 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 my 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 reaction, my memory of it is still there, but I I don't remember. I mean, I I've heard the story so many times in my life that I have no clue what really happened. My my siblings used to tell stories all the time about what was happening in our lives, so that I wouldn't cry. <laughs> Evidently, I cried a lot. <laughs> as I've grown up I'll tell these stories and they go that never happened I'm like what yeah no we just told you that so you wouldn't cry and uh you know they just lied to me but you know when you are traumatized by things you do have the memory of that even though you might not be consciously aware of it Mm mm-hmm and so, yeah, I think parts of your body will react in similar ways, and but that's just because of the nature of thought. It brings it to life in the same way it was programmed in. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are uh, struck by, you know, they'll say, well, why is it that my back always acts up when I'm stressed? And somebody else will say, oh, no, I, it's not my back. I get migraines when I'm stressed. And somebody else will say, no, it's my neck. You know, my neck gets stiff. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's, it's because of some stress response that, that they programmed into themselves, whether they realized it or not. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember I had a very wise doctor when I was growing up. And actually, he, I was, you know, he lived to be 99. And so he was in my life for quite a long time after he was no longer our doctor. And, and um and he told me one time, he said, you know, uh, the body is a, is a great feedback to, uh, to people because it kind of lets you know where your weak spots are, but you're not born with them. 
you develop them as things happen to you. Like if you fell off of a horse or you, like in your case, you almost got shot in the eye and uh, that, that, you know, the, the body, the, the memory of that event, he even said that the memory of that event never goes anywhere. Everything that you have ever known is stored in your brain. And uh, so your body will let you know when, uh, when it, one of those memories comes to mind because it might be a problem. Yeah. And uh, that was, he was Greek and, and he was a very th- a philosophical wise person. And that was just his, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about the principles when he told me that I was just in college, but it, it was, I remember thinking, yeah, that makes sense. It yeah. wouldn't make sense for my, you know, for my elbow to re- to make up that, oh, Judy, you got a problem here, you know. <laughs> but if my elbow was was prone because I'd broken my arm falling off a horse and I fell right on my elbow when I was, uh, you know, about nine years old. So I'm very sensitive about that arm. And I, that all of a sudden it made sense to me because so I was thinking like, what difference does it make? And why is this arm always more reactive when I, you know, lose my balance than the other one? So I, I think we have to use some logic here and not, you know, not give the body credit for things it doesn't do, but be grateful for the, for the things, the whole feedback mechanism that is our life, yeah. that our feelings tell us about our thinking. And our feelings include the sensory experiences of our body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like if you think it's your body doing it to you, you're being victimized by your body. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you start to like get a man. I know people that they're afraid of their body and people that have chronic pain do so much thinking about when mm-hmm. they're going to pain again, how they're going to feel. I mean, there's a lot of thinking that people can get into mm-hmm. about their body. And it almost feels like it's your body's doing something to you mm-hmm. rather than you having the gift of this little earth suit you know, that we have to allow us to experience this reality and sometimes it malfunctions. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a different way of thinking about it. So when people get sick, they feel like their bodies betrayed them. They mm-hmm. feel like their body is like, as I'm getting older, I feel like my, my body would stay young with my mind. We'd be in a lot better shape. But you know, <laughs> it, that's, that's just the nature of think, my thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. I could be grateful that I'm as old as I am and I'm in such good health that that I am in. But, you know, it's kind of like whatever your experience is while living in your body, it's not your body doing it to you. Your experience is your thinking in the moment. So if you recognize that you get into the healthiest state of mind you can, it will then help your body to start mm-hmm. to respond in a way that's healthier as well. You know, one way we notice that in the work that we do is, you know, a lot of people come to us who are very stressed and anxious and depressed and things like that. And it shows on a person's face, you know, somebody will come in and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're frowning and they've got lines that are, you know, the frown lines and the grimace lines and, and they're kind of tight. <clears throat> and I can always tell when a person is really changing because their whole face changes. You know, and I remember with some of my clients, and when I was working with women, I would think, my God, this person looks 10 years younger. 
I mean, she's got the same face she had the last time she came in, but she's found something. She's come to peace with something. And the frown lines and the, and the grimace lines and everything are, she's smiling now and her, she, her face is relaxed. And one of the ways in which the mind-body connection is valuable is when your mind is at peace and when you do realize that you're the thinker and that you don't have to spend a lot of time managing your stressful thoughts, it does affect your whole muscular system because your body's no longer on guard. <clears throat> because what's the message? <clears throat> what's the message from stress? You better watch out. You know, keep an eye on these things. Stay, stay, stay alert. And then in that state, you're tense. And when you're tense, your your muscles are tense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's you know we have to realize that the body is responding uh, to the mind. The mind is not responding to the body. You know, the body is responding to the mind. And I remember one time when I was uh, first doing this work, I was living up in La Conner, and um, we had a weekend seminar coming. <clears throat> and so uh, a couple of people were on vacation, so there wasn't a full staff. And, you know, I had to be part of the seminar because there weren't enough of us to cover the four days <laughs> unless everybody worked that was there. And I had a toothache and the dentist office wasn't going to open till Monday. And I was supposed to be, this happened on Friday night and I was supposed to be doing a full morning on Saturday. And I'm, I woke up and I thought, oh gosh, there's something wrong with this tooth and it really hurts. And I probably, I should call and try to rearrange my schedule. And I thought, what am I going to do? I have to do this sometime before Monday. I might as well get it over with this morning. And so I went to do it. And I thought, I'll just do the best I can. That's the best I can do. I just kind of relaxed about it and thought, I'll just do the best I can. And honestly, I, I remember this so distinctly. I walked into that room where the people were gathered and I started to talk and I totally forgot about my tooth. I got through the whole morning and I had a wonderful time and it was just lovely and I felt great. And I I never had a moment's experience of the pain in my tooth until it ended and I went down to the kitchen to get a glass of water and all of a sudden I went, oh, my tooth hurts. (laughs) And I realized, oh, that's about, that's taught me something about pain. You know, the tooth was no better or worse than it had been before, but when I was focused on how much it hurt, that was foremost in my mind and I was creating the experience of pain well, I was feeding into the experience of pain rather than just ignoring the pain and feeding into the beautiful experience of being with the people in the room. Yeah, that's so true. You know, as you were talking, the other, the other thing that um, people think frequently about the body is that it stores feelings. Yeah. You know, like feelings are like things that kind of run under your skin and pop out every once in a while and, and, and get you, but, or, you know, like there's different body work things that believe that you store memories in your muscles or that you, uh, that your muscles store emotions. Like I was talking to a chiropractor once and she was telling me that she uses, um, flower petals to treat emotions and I was so, you know, it's so innocent. I was like 30 years old. And I said, well, how could that work? Because 
emotions aren't things. They're not real. They don't have a form. They pass as soon as you're done thinking about whatever is causing the feeling. And she sat back and she said, what? I said, yeah, like feelings aren't things that you have to manage or calm or fix. They're just the result of the thinking you're doing in the state of mind you're living in. I said, now maybe what happens when people eat your flowers or smell them or whatever it is they do, they stop thinking about their problems and they feel better. But that's not really treating the that feeling because the feeling is gone as soon as the thinking is gone. That's why you can be really upset about something and then you get a phone call and it's like, hello, oh, hi. And just like yeah. that, you're in a different feeling, right? Mm-hmm. The other angry feeling, where did it go? It got pushed into a muscle or it got, you know, in the <laughs> line, is it in the lining of your stomach? You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it's a, I, I know sometimes people think it's a metaphor, but people start to think that that's really what, what happens. Now, mm-hmm. do different parts of your body get associated in memory with, with events? Oh, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not the other way around. It's not your feelings creating your body experience. It's your thought creating your experience in your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's, that's a great story. I, I had a, um, an experience with, uh, with, this is really, I, I, just, I just think about this so often. When I had knee surgery first, I've had both of them done now, but I had the first one about five years ago. And, um, and, and it, there, you know, there's a lot of pain associated when you first have the surgery. It passes very quickly, but, you know, the first couple of days are a little rough. So I'm home and I'm icing my knee and I put an ice, an ice pack and a towel over my knee. And I'm, got, I'm in my recliner where it's where I'm supposed to be with my foot elevated. And my cat, every time I went to ice my knee, my cat came and laid down directly on my knee on top of the towels and purred so loud, just purred and purred. And I thought, the cat's never done that before. The cat never sits on my knee, usually sits on my lap. And, you know, but it's like the cat sensed that, you know, that was, must be the hurdy part, you know, and cats, cats purr when they're trying to soothe themselves. And I thought, isn't that sweet? The cat, the cat, the cat has a mind and the cat saw something. Now I I could have made up this whole story about my body calling to the cat or the cat reacting to my body. But what the cat was reacting to was my thinking, Ooh, this hurts. And it's my kitty and he loves me and I love him. And so he thought, Oh, okay. I know what to do about that. (laughs) And it was so sweet. But then, you know, you can make up so many stories. I remember a friend of mine said, oh, cats are very, you know, very attuned to your body. They watch your body. They pick up all these signals from your body. And I said, I don't think so. I think the cat picked up me going, ooh, ow. (laughs) And thought, oh, my poor master is not feeling good. And noticed me putting ice on my knee and thought that must be the place I should sit purr. Yeah, because the funny thing is, he did the same thing when it was my shoulder. You know, he would try; couldn't get up on my shoulder. He was very frustrated, so he purred as close as he could get to it. 
But I think that we, you know, when we, when things like that happen, instead of looking for the obvious, cats are very tuned into us and they, they pick up on our feeling state and then they respond in a nice way, but it's not because our, our bodies are speaking to, to them or, you know, there's some messaging going on. I think people get very carried away sometimes with over-interpretation and life is much simpler than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think what's true is that animals can have a different sense of smell. They yeah. have a different sense, like they can pick up on your hormone level. You know, when you're mm-hmm. distressed, you emit hormones. They, there's other yeah. things that they, but it's not. Um, you know, it's it it's like you're feeling and emotions. Yeah. And your experience, whatever that is, whether it's a physical experience or a feeling emotion experience or um, mm-hmm. a, a, a habit that you do, it's all, if you're not thinking it first, you, you're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, so it, ha- it all comes down to, in the end, it's mm-hmm. a thought. You're experiencing a thought. Right. And so... The same thing happens when you're focused on mental well-being. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a woman earlier today, and she was very in the details about um, the possibility or probability of a divorce and what her um, husband was been up to. And she was pretty much caught up in that. And um, as I was talking with her, um, I realized that part of what, was happening was that she wasn't quieting down, right? Mm -hmm. So I just started to talk to her about living in a peaceful feeling and being in a beautiful feeling. And you could feel her feeling change Mm -hmm. and her body changed, her experience changed Mm -hmm. as she was sitting there. And I pointed that out. And then she did what we talked about in our last um, podcast, overthinking. She'd go back to thinking about it and, I'd say, no, there you are. You're thinking again. Come back to that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's just that we're not very, the habit we have is not to be tuned in to the feeling of peacefulness, calm, serenity, joy. We're just so used to being aware of our distress because mm-hmm. we've been living at a pretty low level of consciousness for so long that this is all new. And in a sense, you almost have to like take yourself on and let go of the beliefs you have about why you're distressed, why you're having physical problems, why this is happening. And instead just go to see how it works in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that will tell you about whatever you think your body is thinking, because your body's not thinking without you. Right. (laughs) Yep. You have the mind. And your body just waits for instruction. Yep. That's one way to put it, you know. And when your body, you know, when your mind is troubled, you will experience it some way. And everybody experiences it differently. But if your mind calms down, many people will say that, you know, when I calm down, I have to calm down. I have to lie down. I have to rest because I have a backache. And then they get up and they don't have a backache. Yeah. And that's that's your wisdom. Yeah. You know, like when I was... Um, Growing up, Christmas was always very stressful for us, very stressful. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were always, my mother was the perfect Christmas host. So everything had to be perfect. She had to have like 9 million cookies. 
She had to have um, everything. She only did once a year that we would have these uh, rosettes, she called them. And anyway, she would get herself really stressed because she'd also have to have 9 million presents and wrap them all the night before so she'd be up all night. So Christmas became like this time of a lot of stress for me. Well, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I developed an allergy to Christmas trees. So when I would walk into a room where there was a Christmas tree or a wreath, I would start to have an asthma attack. I'd start coughing like, you know, I was in a room full of smoke. And I was like so bummed out because I loved real Christmas trees. And I just loved it. And I thought, oh, my God. And this is because Christmas was so traumatic for me. And and this is a result of that. And I felt like such a victim, right? And then as I learned the principles and I got into a better feeling, I remember that next Christmas, I was like, oh, I'm not allergic to Christmas trees anymore. Oh, my God. And it was yeah. just gone. Right. Yeah. So so you got to give yourself hope. And, and that's really what innate health and the power of thought allow us is to understand how to live in a beautiful state of mind. And then if what you're having is a result of your reaction to your thinking or your trauma or whatever you want to call it, if you get into a healthier state of mind, it'll pass. Right. And you'll go back to your health. Yeah, that's beautiful, Chris. So with that, um, stay healthy. (laughs) Yeah. Aloha, everybody. Have a great week. See you next week. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com. 